Good morning, everyone. Thank you for, uh, for joining us, being here for worship this morning. If we have not met, my name is Dave. I'm one of our pastors, and uh, it is uh, just great to, to have you. Uh, great to be with you. We're glad to have our, our kids' ministry uh, back and operating um, this morning as well during all four of our services. Um, and so our children's team has been hard at work getting everything prepared and ready for them. Um, but again, we're really glad you're here. This morning, we're in the fourth week of our series, Us For Them. And what Austin and I are trying to do in this series um, is, is sort of change the narrative a little bit, or I think as Austin said last week, we really want to sort of put to death the idea of us versus them. Us versus them. I think we can all agree there is enough us versus them out there in the world. We don't need more of that, right? And one thing we talk about a lot is how we think that the church really ought to embody um, the kingdom. And what I mean by that is that the church ought to really be about showing the world that God's way is just better than, than their way. God's way is better than the way of the world. And that plays itself out in a number of different ways. Um, but if we're ever going to be for them, then we have to model uh, what it's like to be for one another. As Austin said last week, um, not in spite of our differences, but God puts us together because of our differences. And so how we love one another, how we treat one another. And then today, specifically, we're going to talk about how we handle conflict with one another. Okay? How we handle conflict with one another. Because as I said a couple weeks ago, conflict is going to come. Conflict is going to happen. You are not going to get through life without conflict, right? The conflict is, is, is real. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen in the church. Conflict is going to happen in the church because God has, you know, wired us all uniquely. God has, um, uh, you know, his, he's breathed his life into us. He's given us different personalities. And then there's the fact that we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. And, you know, at our kind of truest self, we're all, we're all pretty selfish people that want our way. And so if we're going to have the diversity that we want because we're different and God brings us together as a family, then there's going to be conflict. And again, if we're gonna show the world that we're for them, we've gotta make sure we embody how we can be for one another and how we can handle conflict um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so to do that, we're gonna jump in uh, in Matthew's gospel. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter five to start with. Matthew chapter five. And then we're gonna jump over to Matthew 18. In Matthew 5, I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna just show you a couple of really important points here that kind of lay the foundation for why this is such a big deal. And then I wanna jump over to Matthew 18 where Jesus lays out literally a step-by-step -step, um, how we should approach, how we should handle conflict um, verse by verse um, that we can kind of walk through together. So Matthew 5, I'll begin in verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So I can stop for a minute, and I think you can already see that what Jesus is doing here is saying, look, there's a way the world handles conflict. And that is through anger, through insults, through name calling. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the way the world handles conflict, right? The news, right? You've, you've seen the news. Anger, bitterness, insults, name calling. That's the norm. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, this is the way the world does it. Now let me show you a better way. Let me show you a better 
alternative than the way of the world. And I think you can see in those first few verses that this is a very serious thing to Jesus, okay? This is a very serious thing. Let's see what he says next in verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, that's worship. If you're coming to worship and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift, okay? So Jesus is, there's a couple things I wanna sort of pull out from here. One I've already touched on, and that is that this is just a very serious issue to Jesus. When there is unresolved conflict among brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus takes this issue very, very seriously. You don't have to turn there, but in John 17, Jesus is praying uh, what's known as the high priestly prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer we have in the gospels that Jesus prayed. And in verse 11, Jesus prays that his followers would be one. He's praying that his followers, um, again, with all the differences and, and the diversity, he's praying that they would be unified together. It literally grieves the heart of God when brothers and sisters in Christ cannot be one and cannot be unified. And I could point you to a number of different texts from the epistles that Paul writes later where he talks on unity and oneness over and over and over again to the early church, to the Old Testament where we have some very um, just straightforward sort of serious language from God about, about being one. In fact, I'll show you one of those in Proverbs chapter six. We'll throw it up here on the screen. The writer of Proverbs uh, says this, it's, it couldn't be more clear. Verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So already you're like, whoa, God hates these things. They are abomination to him, right? And, and most of these are gonna sound like, well, well yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense, right? So haughty eye, that's just pride. Someone that is just unbelievably prideful, right? Pride, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Well, well again, you, most of us are like, well, yeah, God, God hates that. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. So, so we're like, we hear these things and we're like, well, well, yeah, you know, just outright lying and murder, innocent blood. And I mean, we, we would think, well, sure. And then look at the last one, the end of verse 19. And one who sows discord among brothers. Man, things that are an abomination to God. Jesus takes this issue of unresolved conflict among brothers and sisters in Christ very, very seriously, very, very seriously. And God takes his, the unity of his church very seriously because a lack of unity disrupts the mission that God gave us, right? A lack of unity disrupts the mission that God gave us. God gives his church a clear mission and a clear purpose. This isn't some man-made organization just out to do some good things. No, the church is God's plan and God's idea. God establishes his church and he gives his church a clear mission and a clear purpose, right? We're to be about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, preaching the gospel, um, building the kingdom together. And when we are busy fighting with one another, unresolved conflict, letting bitterness grow, we're not about the things God tells us to be about. Instead, we're sidetracked by unresolved conflict. So yeah, God takes the unity of his church very, very seriously because a lack of unity disrupts the mission that God gave us. It disrupts the mission. Back to Matthew 5, a couple other things to kind of point out. I think what it, it appears to me as I read this, that Jesus is saying that when there is conflict, that we should handle our disputes quickly 
before they sort of fester and grow. Um, another way to say it is that we should, we should really have short accounts with one another. Um, I, everybody sort of handles conflict differently. Um, all my cards on the table, what I tend to do is uh, bottle it up a little bit, right? Anybody else like that? You just kind of bottle it up, right? You just bottle it up and then eventually, right? It just, it just blows up, right? And, um, and th- that's not, that's not um, a bragging thing. That's a don't, don't be like Dave thing, right? Like it's not a good idea to sort of bottle all that stuff up because you know as well as I do that problems that are ignored rarely just work themselves out, do they? Problems that are ignored don't just go away. They usually fester and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Jesus seems to be saying, look, if you have a problem with a brother or a brother has a problem with you, you need to go and you need to handle that. You need to handle it quickly because it just sort of festers and grows and, and builds and, and it's very, very unhealthy. We need to handle those things quickly. We should be eager for reconciliation. We should be eager for reconciliation. And then the, the other thing that I see here, and, and I, I just can't help but just, this part just jumps off to me, is that unresolved conflict um, appears to hinder our worship. Jesus says, look, if you're coming to worship, you, you come to bring your gift, that's worship at the altar there. They did worship a little different than we do, but he's basically saying, if you're coming into worship um, and you remember that someone has an issue or you have an issue with someone, you need to leave and go settle that and then come back when your heart is in the right place to worship because unresolved conflict can really hinder our, our worship. And so again, as we read through Matthew 5, what we see is that God takes this very, very seriously. He takes unresolved conflict among brothers and sisters in Christ very, very seriously. It's a sin issue. It's a sin issue that we need to deal with quickly before it sort of festers and grows and gets worse. And so if we can say that conflict is a reality, right? We said that a few weeks ago. Conflict is is a reality in the broken, fallen world we live in. Um, It's going to be something we have to encounter. And if we can say that unresolved conflict is serious to God, then the question becomes, how do we, as followers of Jesus, handle it? How do we handle it? How do we deal with it in a God-honoring way, right? For that, let's look over at Matthew 18. Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus lays out literally step-by-step how we are to handle conflict. Um, and, and, And as clear as it can be, literally verse 15, step one, verse 16, step two, verse 17, step three, literally as clear as Jesus can be about how we're to do it, I would argue that most of us, if we're honest, this is not the way we initially go about it. Guilty as well, right? This is, this is not the way we normally try to handle it. And I think you'll see what I mean here in just a moment, all right? First of all, verse 15, here's the way verse 15 starts. If your brother sins against you, Okay, so already I need to stop and explain and unpack something really quick, right? If your brother sins against you, what I hear when I see Jesus say that your brother sins against you is that we should be slow. Listen, followers of Jesus, hear me on this. We should be slow to take offense. We should be slow to take offense. Listen, we live in a world, man, where people are offended by everything, right? Like it doesn't take much for someone to get offended these days. Literally, everyone's almost looking for a reason to be offended by somebody else. And Jesus starts this section by saying, if your brother sins against you, we should not get offended because someone has a different personality than us. We should not get offended because someone takes a different approach than we would take. 
We should not get offended, again, because they, they maybe have a different view on some things than, than we do. That is not a sin against you, okay? That is not a sin against you. And so in the church, to embody this being for them is we've got to stop taking offense at every little thing, as if somebody with a different personality is, is, should be offensive to me. Like, no, God's wired us differently. He's, he's breathed life into us. He, he brings us together from different walks of life and different backgrounds. And so, again, I'm kind of on a soapbox here, but if your brother sins against you, they literally sin against you, then there's some conflict that needs to be resolved, and he, we, need to, we need to follow the steps that Jesus is about to lay out. But, man, we've got to be people that are not so quickly and not so easily offended by every, by every little thing, all right? So moving on, here's step one. Very clear, verse 15. Your brother sins against you. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Here's step one, right? We should handle conflict privately. We should handle conflict privately, right? Jesus couldn't be more clear. And as clear as Jesus is, I said it a while ago, most of us don't go about conflict resolution this way, do we? Think about the last time you heard that somebody had a problem or an issue with you. Who'd you hear it from, right? Probably not the person that had the problem with you, right? It was probably from somebody else, right? Think about the last time you might've had a problem with someone. Did you go straight to that person? Maybe you did, but a lot of times we just tend to, we tend to wanna go talk to someone else about it first, right? I'm gonna go see if I can make sure they're on my side. It's a little more comfortable to go to someone else, vent a little, right? Make sure they're kind of seeing it the way I see it, explain my side of the story. Then I can go to someone and go, hey, it's not just me that has a problem, it's we that have a problem. And that's a much easier conversation than just saying I have a problem, right? So we tend to go to some other people, try to recruit some people to our side, which is just easier and more comfortable, right? But the problem is that's gossip. It's gossip, and Jesus says that's sin, and we shouldn't do that. Jesus couldn't be more clear in verse 15. You go to them alone. I said, Austin said last week, he mentioned how uh, we've, had, we've had moments where people in our church, they disagree about something, and, and they might go talk to him, and they're on kind of one side of an issue. At the same time, they'll come talk to me, and they're on the other side of the issue. That's happened a few times, right? I would also say it's true, just this is broadly speaking, not always, but it's also been true numerous times that when someone has a problem with maybe something I have said in a sermon, they often will send Austin the email first. And then if someone has a problem with something Austin might have said in a sermon, it's funny, they'll often send me the email first. It's almost like they don't think we talk. I don't know, right? And so just so you know, like if you come to talk to me about a problem or a struggle or an issue with Austin or something Austin said, the first thing that I'm going to do is go, hey, why don't you go talk to Austin, right? That's, that's the way this should work. And I would tell you, like, 90% of our problems with people, our conflict could be resolved if we would just follow verse 15. If we would just follow verse 15 and live out what Jesus said in verse 15, I think 90% of conflict would, would go away. 90% of it, we just go talk to them, hey, man, you said this or you... No, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry. Like that's, that's what I heard. That's not, I really think that a lot of conflict could be resolved if we would just live out verse 15. We wouldn't even need to get to 16 and 17. We would go directly to the person, talk it out. Brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, 
deal with the conflict and go away. I can tell you over and over and over again how many times um, we don't follow that course and then the problem becomes way bigger than it ever needed to be, involving more people than it ever needed to involve, right? It becomes a massive, divisive thing all because we just won't go directly to the person when there's a conflict. Jesus couldn't be more clear. We handle conflict privately, privately first, right? Now, sometimes that doesn't work, right? Sometimes you go talk to someone, them, one-on-one, it doesn't work. There's still this impasse there. There's still a problem there. And so step two, verse 16. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so listen. If step one doesn't work where you talk to them, um, then the Bible says what Jesus says is you, you go and you find another one, maybe two, to come with you. Now, here's what you don't do. You don't go find people that are on your side or try to get them on your side. The goal is not to gang up on somebody, right? The goal is not to present everything from your point of view so they can come in and help you argue your case. No, why do you bring someone else along with you? He says it in the text that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. When you bring someone else along with you, the goal and the purpose is to establish the truth, right? It's to establish the truth. Here's what really happened. Here's what was really said. Here's the, the, the root of the issue. The goal in bringing someone with you is not gang up on, get them on your side. It's no, you're gonna bring someone else along that loves you and loves them and is working towards the reconciliation along with both of you so that it can be ironed out. The goal is, is the truth. Uh, the second point that I had written down here was that we should handle conflict truthfully. Truthfully. Sometimes it's a matter of just getting to the truth. Here's what was really said. Here's what was not said. Here's what you did. Here's what you didn't do, right? The purpose of bringing along others is to get to the truth. Finding someone that's impartial, that loves you, that loves them, and is is interested in working out the problem with you. That's step number two. Handle it truthfully. Step number three, verse 17 and I gotta spend a little bit of time on 17 because this is probably the verse when it comes to any kind of discipline in the church that is the most um, widely misunderstood and misused um, of all, okay? Here's what he says, step three. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, so if you followed one and you followed two and it's still, they're not, there's, they're not listening, they don't wanna hear it, here's step three. Tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, some people hear that verse and here's what they think. Air their dirty laundry and all their sin and all their struggle and all their issue, um, get up on the stage, like announce it to the whole church and then kick them out of the church. This, this verse has been used for church discipline uh, wrongly for a long time, right? Tell the whole church and then kick them out. And I, a caveat here, like later in Paul's writings to the churches, there is a time and a place for a kind of church discipline where we might have to remove someone from the assembly, from the fellowship. Um, Paul talks about, again, if there is just, um, if there's people in the church that are bringing harm and detriment to the church, false teaching, they won't stop the false teaching, they won't, um, they're preying on other members in the, in the body of faith and they just refuse to stop. There's a time and a place, um, Paul addresses this, where we might have to remove someone from the body, but that's not what Jesus is really getting at right here. 
That's not what Jesus is getting at here. First of all, tell the church can mean a number of different things. Tell the church doesn't necessarily mean get up from the stage and announce someone's sin to everybody to publicly shame them. That really goes against all the other teachings of Jesus. Tell the church might mean, it might mean tell the leadership, tell the elders, so the elders can prayerfully think through a course of action, how to lovingly help the brother or the sister. Tell the church might mean to tell some others, maybe their small group who love them and care about them so they can pray for them and encourage them and, and support them. Again, treat them as a tax collector or sinner doesn't mean kick them out. Can I remind you how Jesus said to treat tax collectors and Gentiles? Jesus said to love them, right? Didn't he? Jesus said to love them. And so listen, rather than read verse 17 and go, man, that is about punishment. That's about punishment. No, no. It's actually about, about loving them. Discipline, follow me on this. If you're a parent, you know this, right? Discipline should not be about punishment. Discipline should never be about punishment. Discipline should be about correction. Discipline should be about correction. If my boys do something that is wrong, if they're living away or they're doing something that is ultimately one day going to be to their detriment, then me as a loving father, it's my responsibility to discipline, but it's not to punish them. It's not to get them. It's ultimately to correct a behavior that I know is going to be harmful to them down the road. And if I don't correct that behavior, if I do nothing, if I stand back and just let that behavior persist, ultimately that's me not being loving because I'm doing nothing about it and it's going to bring harm to them later. So discipline is not about punishment. No, discipline is about correction. It's, a, it's the most loving thing that you can do. Telling the church isn't about getting them, sticking it to them. Telling them the church is a loving act where you, you try to bring the community around them that can help love them and encourage them and pray for them and bring them back. That's the goal. My third point is we should handle conflict lovingly, lovingly. And I know when you first read 17, it doesn't just jump off the pages lovingly, but I'm telling you, it is. It's the most loving thing that we can do. Rather than just let someone drift off and live a life of sin, we surround them with the community because that's the most loving thing that we can do. And we treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors, which again, Jesus said, we're to love. We're to love, all right? So we handle conflict privately first. We handle conflict truthfully, always trying to get to the truth. We handle conflict lovingly. And need I remind you that Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 15, to the church, that we are to speak the truth in love. Remember that little verse, that little nugget, right? Anytime there's conflict, that's very important to remember. Ephesians 4, 15, we speak the truth in love. Handling conflict truthfully and lovingly, they go, they go together. They go hand in hand, right? And Paul reminds us that. I got one more, then we get really quick. Um, look down at verse 20 with me, down at verse 20. Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Um, Speaking of verses that are often misused or taken out of context, this one is another big one, right? Because more often than not, when you hear this verse quoted, it's often used or quoted in regards to worship, right? Usually when there's a really small crowd, it's like the verse we smack on there to make, make everybody feel like it's okay, right? Like there's only a few people. That's okay because the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there God is in their midst. And I'm like, I kind of feel like God's with me when it's just me. I don't know. Do I need someone else to always be there or like God's absent? I don't understand. This verse has nothing to do with worship. This verse has nothing to do with gathering for worship, okay? 
You can worship God by yourself and God is very much present with you, okay? Just so you know. This verse has nothing to do with worship. It has everything to do with conflict. It has everything to do with Christian conflict, okay? And so my last point is that we should handle our conflict spiritually. And here's what I mean by that. We handle our conflict spiritually. We don't fight the way the world fights. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5, right? Anger, insults, name-calling, bitterness. I mean, just grows and grows and grows. That's, that's the way the world fights. That's not the way we fight. We fight like Christians. We fight spiritually. We have this beautiful promise here in verse 20 that, that God is present in our conflict. That when Christian brothers and sisters are, um, there's, there's conflict there, that God is very much present. We invite God's spirit into the discussion with us. We remain humble and obedient to not just what God wants to do in them, but what God might want to do in me. So when we pray for, listen, we, there's conflict. I'm going to pray before I approach somebody. God, would you, would you be with, like, give me the words to say, God, would you be with their heart, but also, God, would you be with mine? Again, we don't, we don't pray the Old Testament kind of prayer. God, would you, would you show them? God, they're wrong. Would you get them? Would you just, God, they need to change. And listen, that's a, that's a very arrogant way to pray about conflict. Instead, a more humble and obedient way to say, God, can you help me? Show me where I need to soften my heart. Show me where I might need to change. God, would you be present in the conversation? God, would you be there in our midst? We fight spiritually. We don't fight like the world fights. We have this beautiful promise in verse 20 that when there's conflict and we're gathered together, God is going to be there in our midst. And that's a very different way to fight knowing that we have a God that's with us, a God that longs for his brothers and sisters to be reconciled together, helping us along the way, right? Just a very different way. Here's the thing. If we're ever gonna be a church that is for them, we show the world that there's a better way. We embody the kingdom of God, which is a, a beautiful uh, alternative to the world. Nowhere is that going to be more true than how we deal with conflict, how we learn to love one another not in spite of our differences, but because of our differences. And when there's an issue or a problem, man, we don't just let it fester and grow. No, no, no. We go and we prayerfully invite the Spirit of God into the conversation and we work it out and we love one another, right? That's how we can be for, show the world that we're for them by being for one another, right? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're grateful that you are constantly and continually with us. And God, that is so true. We have this beautiful promise that you're with us even in our conflict. God, I pray you would remind us of that truth, that um, when we have problems or issues or struggles or someone sins against us or we sin against someone else, God, would you just remind us that you're present with us in the conflict, that you long for your children to be reconciled together. God, I know that sometimes those conversations are just hard and they're awkward and they're uncomfortable, but I pray you'd give us the grace and the humility and the strength, God, to have those conversations, that we would not leave things unsaid, that we would not let things grow and fester and boil up to a point where they just explode. We would not let little mountains, little molehills become mountains in the church. God, that we would be serious about the unity of your church because you are serious about the unity of your church. So we pray for your just forgiveness and grace where we, we have not really followed the pattern that is laid out here in, in Matthew 18. We pray, God, that you would give us strength to follow that pattern, to be faithful to your word, 
to handle conflict in a way that honors you as your children. We pray this today in Jesus' name, amen.